Hey guys and welcome to another edition of Wise Words with Dan. Today on my podcast I'll be having my good friend Chester as we talk a bit about Manchester United and what's going on at the club with Ole being sacked. Um, also we, we talk about a bit about the EPL, A-League as well as international football. Um, so yeah, it will be a great podcast. Um, I certainly enjoyed it. I think you guys, if you're a football fan, um, I think you guys will definitely enjoy listening to this podcast. Also, guys, I want to start off by saying my auntie who lives in Lebanon, she's from Beirut, um, she's got a GoFundMe page. Um, so I'll read a bit of about the paragraph that she has written. So the last few years in Lebanon have been a struggle for the beautiful citizens of the nation. We have struggled to buy food to feed ourselves and families. We have struggled to buy medication and basic supplies. We have struggled to live. Our living conditions have had to be striped back to bare basics so that we can be able to survive. Unfortunately, that has meant pets as well being abandoned and left astray. With whatever money I have left over, I am providing food and water to these cats and dogs so that they are able to, su- to survive on the streets. With the influx of stray, stray cats on our streets, more and more cats and dogs are breeding, leading to overpopulation and more disease spreading amongst them and to the community, communities around them. With the support of your kind donation, I will be able to begin nurturing the overpopulating stray of cats and dogs. This will also help me provide them with the basic food and water to continue to survive. Any any donation that anyone is able to make to help support me in this cause, I would greatly appreciate. It's been a difficult time for everyone and my gratitude cannot be expressed enough. So my auntie Diane, who's from Lebanon, she started a GoFundMe page. She's Her goal is to raise thousand dollars she's on 430 at the moment so please you know go find my page i'll be sharing the link on my facebook page known as wise words wise words with stan please anything you can donate ten dollars five dollars help support her cause you know a lot of dogs and um, cats being left astray abandoned on the on our on the streets of beirut so yeah, anything he could do to help my auntie feed um those cats and dogs um will be greatly, greatly appreciated. Anyways, onto the podcast guys. Sup, bro. Hey man, long time. Yeah, I know. A while. <laughs> What's been happening? Oh, uh, not much. We just finished uni. Like exams like literally earlier this week. As I said before in the chat, um, yeah. So finally, we're on that break. That's pretty good. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's being Christmas now, you know, it's well, like holidays, in, isn't it? Entering into cool. Christmas, yeah. <laughs> oh no, that's good, man. That's good, man. Well, welcome, welcome back to my podcast. Yeah. I know we do these things every now and again. It's, uh, <laughs> but only when something major happens in the football world. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Because if we went I've noticed down, that pattern, we'd probably get quite a lot of flags for controversy. So, yeah. <laughs> we can play that with football. 
<laughs> as, as we start doing podcast about FIFA, I reckon we'll be kind of like entering controversy territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so yeah, Chester, welcome to my podcast. So uh, usually we have George on, but I think he couldn't make it tonight as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man. Um, yeah. Um, this week, earlier this week, we found out from at Manchester United, being the club that you and I support, Chester, that Ole have officially stepped down. Now, nice way to put it. He was sacked, but yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, yeah. He was sacked. Yeah. <laughs> I was putting it politely, but yeah, yeah. He, he was sacked. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this has been a long time coming, and I think this is what fans have been wanting for a while. Because I we wanted it, to be honest, it's because I mean, like, whilst I'm, whilst I'm, whilst I'm, I agree it was probably the right decision. Like, considering where we were going this season, it's not like I wanted it. I'm pretty sure, like you and me and most other United fans, we wanted to see him succeed at the club 100. percent Oh so yeah, yeah. It's like, like weeks. We accept the decision. We agree it's a right decision, but you know it, we're not like it's so hard to put. It's like we're not devastated, like we're we're not like overly devastated by it. But at the same time, we're not happy. It's just kind of like it had to be done. It got done, and they did it with no fuss, which was probably the best. And dragging it out and out and out because that if you're going to get it done, get it done, and that's kind of good. They did it that way, but obviously there's that part of us that still obviously wanted to see him succeed at the club, but I think it's clear to see last season, the Europa League final was probably where about he hit his peak, to be honest. Mm. I think he peaked and, yeah. Well, what, and also, I think that game when we lost to PSG in round of six, was that the quarterfinals in the Champions League? Last oh, no, we beat, we beat PSG and then I think... We got knocked out in the group stages, remember? A couple of seasons back, when we oh, made it to, I when he beat. That's when like first season in charge, wasn't it? Yeah, first season in charge. Yeah, that yeah. night in Paris. Yeah, yeah, that one, that, that one too. Famous yeah. night in Paris. Yeah, um, yeah, no, you know, like you said as well, coming so close in winning the Europa League as well, but coming up short. You know, he has he has made somewhat of an impact, but not what we've expected. Let me um, ask you, would you say his time at United was overall successful? When I say successful, I'm not talking trophies. I'm just saying what he did with the team and all of that. And Would you call it a success? Because I wouldn't call it a failure myself. Anything from far from a failure this time. I mean, I look at when he first became manager, his long-standing away record for United. You know, um, and yeah, do, you know, how long had that away record been? It was last season. I'm, I mean, and then a bit into the end of the previous season as well. We went a full season basically unbeaten on the road. Um, first thing to do that, obviously, since the Invincibles that Arsenal did it. And we broke the record, I'm pretty sure. It's like when we went into this season, we broke the record for the longest away unbeaten record in the Premier League. Yeah, so I think that's a huge achievement in itself, even you look at it like that. But, you know, okay, take away, we haven't won, we haven't won like trophies or anything, but I felt, I feel like the impact that he's made on the club will carry on, you know? Um, 
Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The club, the squad he picked up and the morale of the team and all that running through the club that he took over after Mourinho got sacked, that there was a toxic atmosphere running through that club when Mourinho got sacked. The dressing room was just all over the place. There were players who didn't want to be there. There was a hell of a lot of dead wood, which in his time he definitely managed to shift almost all of it. <clears throat> Phil Jones, but he's unshiftable, I'm starting to think. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So he got really cleared a lot of that dead wood out and he really improved the team morale over his time with the club. And even like, he, you could tell, like even last season, even the season before, he'd got the club, the players playing for the club and playing for the badge and playing for him. That's why I call it a somewhat of success his time because even though he didn't get any trophies, a couple of semifinals and a final, obviously. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that that counts as success for a club the size of Manchester United. I'm not deluded. Obviously, that's not a success if you're not winning trophies at this club. But at the same time, the way he fixed the team from the mess that Mourinho left it in and still managed to get the results and Premier League finishes of third and second in his two full seasons in charge of the club, I would say without the trophy factor put into it, it's still a success because it's it would be ludicrous to call it a failure. Like, yeah, yeah, it really would be. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and I wholeheartedly agree with that. You know, he's yeah. he's made a profound impact. Um, and yeah, like finishing, you know, that season when we came second. I know there was a big gap between us and City. Yeah, but the way that how many United performed that season was remarkable in itself. You know, it was, yeah. So I felt like he's, you know, and you compare him to a couple of other managers that we've had after Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, he, I think he, he's left the, the most impacts compared to those other managers. On the squad, I would say. I mean, like, his squad, yeah. Sort of chuck David Moyes in that because I think we all agree David Moyes should have been given more time but wasn't. It's harsh to like rank him on that, even though we were poor, we didn't have the greatest squad. And I mean, I mean, you agree with this as well, but a lot of fans, including myself, my dad as well, um, Moyes should have been given more time. So it's unfair to compare him in this list, but like we're talking obviously Louis Van Gaal, Jose Mourinho, that's who we're comparing him to. Obviously, they both won silverware, or they did not, but. I kind of felt under Van Gaal, you know, we didn't look like Manchester United. We just looked like a slow, boring team. You know, I remember, like, frequently in the Van Gaal era, waking up at, like, 2, 3 in the morning to watch those games and watch us, like, grind our way to either a 1-1 or a narrow 1-0 defeat where we've had about, like, two shots on target in one half of football. Like, an absolute snooze fest. And then compare that to Ole, where there was some times where we were just, like, blitzing teams, like... People say, like, oh, Mourinho, Van Gaal, they won you silverware. They did better than Ole. But, it, I mean, let's look at results. Let's not just look at silverware. I mean, yeah. I think when we beat, was it Rashford's first game when he came into the team, when we beat Mitchell and 5-1 in the Europa League under Van Gaal? I mean, like, between that, that was the last time we scored five goals before Ole took over and we scored five against Cardiff in his first game in charge. So it kind of says it all there. We went a couple of years without being able to score five goals in a game of football. The entirety of Mourinho's era, if I'm not mistaken, it kind of says it right there. Yes, this club needs trophies, but also trophies are one thing. Like the big trophies winning the league, and to win the league, you've got to be consistent. Not, none of them managed to do that. Ole, yes, Mourinho got a second place finish. 
so did Ole, but Ole had like it's not Ole took over halfway through a season where we were had a you know a team that really want to play for the club, didn't get us into the top four, had a poor run towards the end of the season after that initial good run that we went on when he first took over. We did miss out on the top four, came sixth, but that was fine. We understood it wasn't gonna be as easy as that. New season, signed a lot of players, promising, started well, obviously beat Chelsea 4-0, but then kind of tailed off because the quality wasn't there. Then signed Bruno in that January transfer window, pushed us all the way. That end of season run we had post-lockdown came gave us the third place in the end. And then following on from that, I would say compared to like Van Gaal, which we finished fourth and fifth in his two seasons, Mourinho when we finished sixth second and then he got sacked when we were way outside the top four around early December. Those seasons that Ole had, I would say he's definitely was our most successful manager in the post Sir Alex Ferguson era to date. And I think it's quite easy to see why that is. Yeah. Oh, because trophies are one thing, but also results are another. And I think FA Cup under Van Gaal, we won the Europa League under Jose. But, you know, as I said, like the, the results that we had in the seasons under Solskjaer were more promising and the way we were playing football was more promising than it was under Van Gaal or Mourinho. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know what I loved as well? Like when they interviewed him, you know, after he got the sack, the way, you know, it just shows how much he loved the club, you know. I mean, yeah, he's a legend of the club, of course, but... Like the way he spoke in the interview, saying you know he will always be a huge fan and he will and he will still attend games and he will still watch yeah. the club. That just goes to show the love he has for the club, you know. And I really hope the next manager we do find has that found one. <laughs> well, that isn't that the assistant coach now. Well, no, so so Carrick's currently temporary in charge, but we have got Ralph Ragnick. Oh, okay. To take over for the next six months, obviously, till the end of the season. The best thing is, following on from that, he's agreed a deal to become a consultant for the director of football for the following two years after this season, which is amazing. I don't know if how much like research you did into him or how much you knew about him prior to this, but basically, um, for you, if you have, if you don't know everything, and those who are listening, if we get that many listeners, <laughs> um. <laughs> A quick rundown of it is so he took as a director of football and man he was so recently he's been a director of football for a number of years a few years at Leipzig. Before that he was a manager at Leipzig. Before that he was a manager at Hoffenheim. But he's always been in and around those managerial um, sort of director of football jobs. So he knows his stuff around that. So he took Hoffenheim from the third tier of German football all the way to and then to the Champions League basically, for a number of seasons they're in the Champions League. They've tailed off since, but he hasn't been at the club since. Then, obviously, leaving Hoffenheim... <coughs> sorry. Leaving Hoffenheim, he went to Leipzig, and he, <coughs> he took Leipzig from the fourth tier of German football all the way up to, well, where they've been regular top four contenders for a number of seasons now in the Bundesliga. So, <coughs> and if we're talking Bundesliga... To say that, like Leipzig and Hoffenheim back when they were top four contenders, the only reason realistically they weren't winning the titles because that's the league with Bayern. Like, for anyone to beat Bayern, it's a massive achievement out there. So even getting the, these teams from fourth and third tier respectively, all the way up to that top four of the Bundesliga is way more of a success than you could just... Like, this guy basically invented the Gagan press. 
you know, that's Klopp implements so effectively at Liverpool and Tuchel has been now at Chelsea. The guy we have, Dan, to be our interim manager for this remainder of the season and then the consultant to our director of football for the following two years after, he's the guy who taught and coached Klopp and Thomas Tuchel. Wow. Yeah. That, that's remarkable. I had no idea about... On the face of it, it's a fucking amazing appointment, this is. Like, obviously, we're not going to be like... It's not like we're just going to fly off and hit the ground running and win, like, the net every game from here on out to the season and canter our way to the league. Obviously, it's not the case. But yeah. he's, he's going to build this team into a new style. So, you know, going back to when we were talking about Ole, we were doing a lot of praising, and I think people probably want to hear us do, because there are some obvious errors that he would had in his management with us. And one of the things I'm going to say, which I'm excited to see with Ragnik, is his pressing game. Now, How do you pronounce his name? It's Ragnik. Ralph Ragnik. Ragnik. <laughs> I know it's spelled R-A-N-G-N-I-C-K. So just go with that, basically. So okay. people pronounce it Ragnik, and I've heard others pronounce it Ragnik. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to call it Ragnik. Call yeah. it Ragnik. Yeah. Right, so he, so he, what, his idea is like getting players to um, press their opposition. Yeah. Like, you know the way Liverpool play? Yeah. That really high intense press that Liverpool put on. That's basically, yeah. he, he basically, not invented, but like he developed that into the modern game over the last decade or so. Uh, okay. Klopp uh, so- learned that stuff from him. Tuchel learned that stuff from him, basically. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Do you think he's the man, though? Do you think he's... Well, he's only going to be interim, isn't he? Obviously, so he's not going to be the man, is he? Um, um, yeah, but do you think he could potentially become, like, a long-term coach? I don't think he should. Remember I said, the plan is an end. He's going to step into a consultancy role for our director of football to help them for the following two years. So he's... Like it, it's guaranteed that he's not going to stay beyond the six months. I'm fine with that because, like, director of football is where he's been strongest the last couple of years. That is true. Yeah, yeah. So, and like, as you know, like, we need like obviously John Murtaugh is a big improvement on Ed Woodward already, but now with John Murtaugh having and Darren Fletcher is obviously in a similar role on that. Them having Ralph Rangnick with them consulting them for the following two years after the season ends is even bigger of a bonus because. You know, and to have him like associate the club means we should be like we could like then attract these names of managers we want to implement that style. Obviously, I think the one I want is Ten Hag to take over next season. I mean, I think we have a real shout at getting him now that we've got Ragnik involved in the club. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I don't know. I think it's hard to picture what like. We probably might not get the best coach, but we'll get someone that's... But this is the thing. Yeah. It comes down to, do we want a Hollywood name or do we want someone who knows what their stuff? Yeah, we that's exactly. Hollywood name before Mourinho and it did nothing. Yeah. It won trophy, but ultimately it did nothing. Obviously, yeah. Fox is the name floating around there, but I prefer... Who's he? Hard. Give me a bit of background on him. Pochettino. Oh, oh, Pochettino. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know him. Yeah, Spurs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, do you reckon he could really fit into that? That's what I'm saying. Like, we could, I mean, he probably could, but like, 
I'd want Ten Hag because like, it's not a Hollywood name. It's one you don't expect as much from. But then he's the way he, it, the way he played. He's the current Ajax manager, and you know, yeah. Ajax, you know, they're doing pretty well again, considering their status in the rest of the European game. You know, they're they're, they're a good club. Ajax have always been known to be a well successfully run club, and Ten mm. Hag's a good manager, and I think that's kind of what we want. I don't really want the big Hollywood name as our next manager from next season onwards, to be honest, because it hasn't worked for us in the past, and I just don't see it working again. There's too much pressure put on the club when the big names come in, and it just doesn't... And the players can feel like... I, I want the manager who comes in, what A, wants to be there, it's a big thing, but also B... Obviously, Ten Hag's well-known, he's the Ajax manager, but he's nowhere near the same level as like Zidane Pochettino. But I think yeah. that's the beauty of it. With You get someone who's... You know, get someone who's not as well known as more obvious choices, but still a very good manager in their own right. But A, who also wants to be there, but B, who also fits in with the direction the club are going and are probably going to go with that pressing game and Ralph Ragnick in charge and that fast four. That stuff. Ten Hag is like a perfect fit for that because that's literally how Ajax play. That fast tempo passing through the middle. Like, it, it's more than ideal. Yeah, actually, I I can see that. Yeah, I I think he w- will make a suitable replacement. But you know, we talk about coaches and stuff, but it also comes down to our players. You know, um, that's the other thing. Under Ragnar, we're already going to probably see these changes in the next couple of weeks, months, whatever this season. He doesn't like lazy players, and I think this is even better because we've we have an issue of lazy players. You know, players did want to play a lot more for the club and for the manager under Solskjaer than they did under Jose. But still, there's still that, like, like Martial, for example. We know he can be a good player, but we know last season and also heading into this season, he's just been back to his lazy self. And hmm. Yeah. Season, there's a slight chance, don't hold me to it, but Ralph Rangnick could, you know... Let him go. No, 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 not. I was going to say, I wasn't going to say let him go. I mean, what, what Ralph Rangnick does, he, he wants play, he doesn't like players who are lazy. He's going to yeah. introduce competition back into the squad. One thing I will say, and I think you'll agree, with Ole, there was a real problem we had is that he would literally just barely rotate the squad unless there were injuries or slight changes. But players, there were certain players in our squad under Ole who were playing no matter what, no matter how bad they were, if they were fit. Sure, Bamba mm-hmm. Saka, Maguire, De Gea, even though he's been better this season. But again, he only got dropped last season because he had to go back to Spain for the birth of his child. And that's yeah. what Henderson in the team. Henderson played well, giving him his chance. Then David De Gea realized, oh, fuck, Henderson's played good. I need to step my game. Spot. See, that's what competition does. But I don't think Ole would have dropped a hair in the poor form he was in prior to him going away for the birth of his child. He only had to bring Henderson in because the hair was not available for those games. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Like, yeah. What I mean is like Ragnick is going to give is like that, that rotational policy, knowing that have been doing well in training. I don't care if you scored a hat-trick last week. If you haven't been doing well in training these last couple of weeks, you're not starting the game. You have to fight for your place, which means you have to turn up every game. You have to try your hardest. Every training session, you have to try your hardest. Otherwise, you won't be picked. And that's what... That's exactly what we need. You know, I agree. On their best. Look at Man City. They've got £100 million in Jack Grealish, who constantly sits on the bench. And that rotational thing that Pep does between... 
Foden, Bernardo Silva, Mark. Look at these players Man City have. I'll give you four players right now. Five players, right? Sterling, Grealish, Foden, Bernardo Silva, Mares. All five of those players would 100% start for United. That's no doubt, right? But they don't all start for City every week, do they? No, they don't. He rotates them. doesn't matter if gets a hat-trick of assists in one game. The following week, Grealish probably... Yeah. And that's not because he doesn't like Foden or anything like that. And it's not because Foden was, like, poor in the game. It's just because he rotates the players because it keeps them on their toes. These players in are starting every week, so they need to perform to ensure that they have their best chance. The problem under Ole at United was these play- a lot of our players knew they were starting every single week regardless. As long as they were fit to play, they knew they were starting. And that also translates into the opposition. Why do you think he started to be found out in the end? Because once your lineups become predictable, how easy do you think, how much easier do you think it is for a coach to spend the whole week assessing? It doesn't matter who we're playing. Let's, let's say we had a game against, I don't know, Brighton, right? Coming up at the weekend and Graham Potter had a whole week obviously to prepare. And he's like, oh, you know, it's like, let's say he'd just been beaten like, 4-0 by Chelsea, and his next game is United. Under mm. Ole, Graham Potter, following the Chelsea defeat, with a loser of fixtures, and, oh, okay, we've got United next. And then as soon as he sees it's United, he'd be like, all right, I don't think, like, he'd, he'd probably send someone out to make sure we didn't have injuries. As soon as he got the news back that we didn't have injuries, he'd be like, all right, he'd go to his players, he'd go to his coaching side, like, right, we're playing United. We lost 4-0 to Chelsea, but we're going to bounce back this week. We're going to give it our all. We're going to play United. Because this is now this is how they're going to line up. This is how they're going to do this. This is because he because he never rotates. It'd just be like right, they're going to play this formation. McTominay and Fred are going to sit in the midfield together. Bruno's going to play at number ten. Rashford's going to play off the left. Ronaldo's going to play at the middle, and Greenwood's going to play off the right. And they're going to have a back four of Shaw, Varane. Let's say Varane's injured. Kind of a back four of Shaw, Lindelof, McCoy is going to play a goal. Now, obviously, coaches will predict lineups heading into games on any like regular game basis, like leading up to a game. But like, they could be wrong. The thing is, you get what I'm saying. He could say that, and then there'd be he'd go on the match day squad and be like, right, they look at the match day squad before their players got short. The hanger in goal, short Lindelof, Maguire, Wambasaka back four, McFred in the midfield. Rashford on the left, Ronaldo through the middle, Greenwood on the right. And they'd be like, look, I told you guys, I knew exactly how they were going to play. So if a coach can predict your lineup, can't you see how much easier it makes them to then go ahead and get something out of the game? Because they can spend the whole week preparing for the lineup that you play because it's so easy to predict. They don't have to have any, like, they don't have to, like, get there on match day and have any, like, I don't know, curveballs thrown their way because it's so predictable. It's not like as if it's City, you could predict it, but then on game day, it's like, oh wait, I've been I've been preparing all week for my guy, and now on game day, Grealish is starting and Foden's on the bench. Shit, what are we gonna do? So we've been preparing something, and we won't be facing that from the start. Because we're united, we're the- preparing for this, and this is exactly what we're getting. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that. Yeah, I feel so that now. Ole, that was Ole's biggest issue, in my opinion. The biggest thing that let him down was his ability to let players get way too comfortable with their positions. Like the, the lineup was so predictable each week. Yeah, yeah. Magnet's going to come in, and you're going to see that there's going to be players fighting 
for their positions, there's going to be rotation, not throughout the whole squad. It's not like he's going to change the whole 11 every single week, but like there's going to be rotation here and there. He's not just going to start like the same back four week in, week out. He's going to, he's going to rotate it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. His score hasn't been playing well of late. You know, he might give him one game, and if he underperforms in that, he'll probably bring Gallas in to see what he can do. Right? He's not just going to be Ole and let him sure just continually play, get worse and worse and worse, but just play him, play him, play him. Mm. You've got to admit, the one player that's been consistent at, consistent at Man United is Ronaldo. You've got to admit. Yeah. Ronaldo, this is a thing. Ronaldo, obviously, I was saying earlier about the pressing game. How's Ronaldo going to implement that? Because we know Ronaldo is not a presser. Not, hmm. He doesn't have that in his legs anymore, you know. He doesn't have that ability to press, you know. But the thing is, Ronaldo, you know what you're getting with him. I don't think, you know, I don't think the coach is, you know, 36-year-old Ronaldo, you're not going to be concerned that he's not going to be able to press for 90 minutes because it's it's Ronaldo at the end. Yeah. You know you're getting passion from him. You know you're getting a good go from him. Even if he doesn't score or get an assist, you know you're still getting a performance out of him. Mm, yeah, that's it. Like, you always know, like, you don't, you know what to expect from him. You know, it's, yeah. I think we bought Ronaldo back to the club. Not, you know, we weren't expecting him to be the Ronaldo of like ten years ago. We brought him back expecting what we've gotten so far, and I think that's passion and determination. He hasn't put that- up numbers. He's in the Premier League. It's one of the toughest leagues, and he's thirty-six. He's still scoring a fair amount, but I, I'm not been disappointed with what he's done. Like, and I, I think, I think, with him every game. I think above all, he brings leadership to our yeah. players. Like he's, you know, that and that's what a lot of our Man United players lack is that passion and desire. In recent that... weeks, when we've been playing poorly in games like the Manchester derby, Liverpool game, you know, the Watford defeat. How many? Like, there's been times if when you're watching it, like you the hammer pans across. You, Ronaldo's getting visibly frustrated with his teammates. You know, yeah. Like that Watford game, like well, we're two one, we're two nil down to Watford guys, or like we just scored, like we're two one down to Watford guys. This is unacceptable. This isn't Manchester United. We should not be losing to Watford, and that's true. We shouldn't be losing to Watford, should we? No disrespect to Watford, they did play very well against us, but it's not a game we should be losing, and definitely not by margin. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And like he, he, yeah, he brings that to the club. He brings his his inspiring players motivating them, you know, allowing them not to give up no matter what the scoreline is. Yeah, reigniting that hunger and that passion in what made Manchester United the club it is today, you know? That's what I'm saying. For Ralph Rangnick, like, coming in and getting hold of this squad, I think Ole's made it a lot easier for him because of where he's gotten the squad to from where it was when he took over. That's what Ole Mm. does deserve credit for. Ralph Rangnick's not coming into... Is he? He's not coming into a bunch of players who don't want to be there. He's coming into players who definitely want to be there for the most part. They've just fallen away off the boil of recent weeks because either they've gotten a little too comfortable knowing that they're playing every week or they're just not having a good season so far. So that, that's that's workable in a quick time frame. It's not like he's trying to turn... He's just trying to get people back in form. So that's, that should be a quicker turnaround. We know that. And even on top of that, even in like recent weeks, we've got players who come into form who were in form at the back end of the se- at the beginning of the season. So like Van der Beek and especially Sancho have both started to come into a little bit of form in recent weeks. If you look at the club on paper, like before the season started, 
Oh, well, like the first two weeks in the season when we got Ronaldo, you looked at the squad on paper and you're like thinking, if this squad could fulfil its potential, this 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 squad have a chance of actually winning the league. Like lots of like you look at Greenwood, Ronaldo. I, didn't, I mean, it comes back to that midfield. I think like. Obviously, on paper, we got the potential of being a hell of a lot closer to the top of the table than we currently are, but I still didn't think we were there to win the league by any means because it's that midfield. Like, that, that if we just don't have a good enough midfield in the centre of the park, and it, it's clear to see, you know, I yeah. spent a lot of the times before Ole got the sack, we were resorting to just having to lump it long because Fred McTominay, they aren't players who can move the ball neatly in the middle of the park and hold on to it. But I think he's going to be able to improve them as players because mm. he's going to, you know, one thing about Ole is he's not like the most tactically like sound manager, is he? Like it's clear that his one of his biggest downfalls was on. He did get it right. Let's not forget he beat Pep a lot of fucking times, um, and that's <laughs> no wrong feat. But overall, he his tactics were found a little wanting at times in games. I think. Yeah, I think that yeah. comes to he, you know, he's a great. He was a good man manager for the most part. I'm not going to say he was a perfect man manager because the Donny situation was a bit shit from him, but still, but he did fall flat when it come. He did fall flat when it came to you know tactics and setting up, especially in that midfield. Right, we don't have a number six who can sit in front of like, I'll, as a comparison, I'll use Luke Bratton. I know it's a different league and like, eat like, but you get what I'm saying. When you watch Sydney play, what does Luke Bratton do? When we try through the midfield, Luke Bratton will sit so deep. He's literally sitting down as like a third centre-back. He will drop back to play in that position, which covers up that third centre-back to often up a passing option. And then he'll pass it out to Caceres, who's so good at taking the ball in his stride and kind of moving up the pitch and opening up space that way. That's what United don't have. Like, to play the way we want to play, we needed that under Solskjaer. To play the way we wanted to play under Solskjaer, we needed that player. We didn't have that sort of number six that, like, Chelsea have in Kante, Liverpool have in, like, Fabinho, City have in Fernandinho, and all of the, like, you know what I'm saying? Rodri as well. Like, a player who's going to just literally screen that back four to get the ball and move it forward. Fred doesn't do that. He... Fred is not an out-and-out number six. He's much more of a number eight and much just a central midfielder. He's not going to drop deep because there's been so many times where he tries to drop deep, doesn't open himself up, stays too close to players and doesn't really give a passing option. And he's too weak on the ball. He's too weak in the tackle as well sometimes and that, that physical presence. So there's still some gaps we need to fill, whether it be in January or the summer, whenever it gets done. But I think... With Ragnick there, there's clear ideas of that we're trying to kind of like adapt our team to the rest of the league, and that's that press. Mm, yeah, that's it. That's it, and that's what we need to focus on the most, and and how we adapt that successfully. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you make a lot of good points, and and you know, time will tell at the end of the day. You know, if this club can reach its potential. Like, I know it's a long-term thing, but, you know, hopefully now once we have him, 
this could point us in the, the right direction. No, I, as long as we can get ourselves into that top four come the end of the season, I'm happy. Because I'm not going to be crying out for a title challenge now. It's a bit far-fetched. Like, just get back in the top four, remain in the Champions League and go get another manager in in the summer, get the next manager in, sorry, in the summer, and then I- get get that squad like add more to that squad it's not like we need to rebuild it we just need to add more in certain places and i think then we're just we're looking stronger and then go from there i think it's yeah, still, that's it. silverware would be a bonus this season if ralph rangnick can bring it obviously we've got i'd say two chances to win it in the fa cup and maybe the champions league um i feel <laughs> like the, the Premier league, league. I feel like we're going to do well in the Champions League. Yeah, of course. We've got Champions League Ronaldo. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I don't know. Like, I know people might think, oh, that's a ridiculous statement. But I feel like we could Not actually reach the semifinals. You know what I mean? Depending who we get. It really depends. Yeah, we need a. I'd still say we'd need a favorable draw to make it. If we got like, if we had to play like Real Madrid and then City or Liverpool, like, there's no way, or Bayern, like, there's no way we're doing that. Like, if we get through, <laughs> or we are through the group side, if we draw Bayern in the next round, there's no way we're getting beyond that. Like, yeah, yeah. absolutely well, no yeah. them. Like, so it really depends if we get that favorable draw, I would say. Um, mm. whether we can make the cha- the um, semi-final. I'd give us a chance of making the quarter-final at least. Semi-final really depends on the draw. Final really, really depends on the draw. Winning it depends a lot on the draw and also getting the results to win it. That's it, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, depending on the draw. Yeah. I think depending the target on- this season, the target for me this season would be just get us back in that top four. Honestly. Yeah. Anyone winning silverware this season is a little bit ridiculous, in my opinion. Let's just take silverware as a bonus this season (laughs) if we get it. Because now we just need to focus on getting back in the top four because it's going to be a lot easier attracting players. I mean, I say that, but we're United. I think, like, the size of the club we are, even if we miss out on the Champions League, it feels like we can get the players or manager we want. Whether we do is a different story, but we always seem to have that chance of getting them. But obviously, that being said, finishing in the top four, getting Champions League football would be what we should be aiming for. Would be ideal. Yeah, yeah. because, I mean, we need to be in the Champions League at least. Like, yeah, that's it. You know who surprised me? Arsenal. They've kind of stepped up this season, haven't they? It's not going to last. <laughs> you don't think so? No, I don't think it's going to last the whole season. I think they're, they're going to be a battle for the top four all season, I reckon. Because you've got like teams like City. Let's just put it this way. City, Chelsea, Liverpool, they're going to be the top three. I can't yeah. see anyone breaking through them, to be honest, throughout this season. Can they're I just, just say, how good have Chelsea three. been? Yeah, I'm, they're going to win the league, I think. You have, <laughs> it's, you it's, have Chelsea. They're going to win the league, yeah. Like, I, I don't fourth think place is going to come down to between us, West Ham, Arsenal, I'd say. I don't reckon many punters had Chelsea winning the league. Yeah, latest. I reckon they did because it's Tuchel. He makes immediate. You get Tuchel in for an immediate impact. I mean, he came in last season, won the fucking Champions League, didn't he? Like, he <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. That immediate impact. But the thing about Tuchel is he he tends to fall out with the board, and when you're at a board like Chelsea's and dealing with an owner like Roman Abramovich, you really expect him to fall out on it at some point. Yeah. Yeah, it's just been remarkable seeing how, like, we yeah, from them winning the Champions League 
last season to where they are na- at now in in the league at the top of the table. Just yeah, you know, they they're up there. If it, like you said, City, Liverpool, you know, Chelsea. Yeah, it's going to be hard to see anyone busting through those top three. And that yeah. top, as I said, this fourth place is probably going to be between us, West Ham, Arsenal, Tottenham. Maybe you might squeeze in there if they get some good signings in in January because they need it. Mm. I think it'll be, yeah, I think yeah, between us, West Ham, and Arsenal. I don't know about Tot- Tottenham, but yeah. Depends <laughs> who they're bringing in January. Because you know, with Conte, there's always a chance they're just going to suddenly go on a really good run. It's not like they have an incompetent manager. So there's every chance they could just go on that good run. I don't think yeah. they're going to do it. They've had two chances to make the top four, bottled it right at the end of the season both times. I think this season they're in a poor run of form as it is. I think they're not going to go anywhere near it this season, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, so switching from the EPL, you know, it live well us living in Australia, talking about the A League, which just which just started last week. Now you weren't a fan of the opening game in the Sydney. And can you see why? Can you see why, Dan? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, a Neil or Jaw, you know. Not just that. Not not just the scoreline. Because, like, there's been draw, not many nil-nils actually in Derby, Sydney Derby, but still, there's been them before. Not really just, like, I don't care the results nil-nil. Like, it's the opening game of the season. It's more the fact that you could see it was difficult for, like, players to find their rhythm. We were missing a lot of chances. We were dominating the ball. Don't get me wrong, but we weren't... We weren't creating many clear-cut opportunities. Yes, they were defending well. They were defending very well. I'll actually give them credit. Um, but as well, as well were they. And that's why you don't put fucking derbies on day one. Because you always need at least a game week or two to get into the rhythm of the season. So why would you put the biggest game, one of the biggest games of the season, on week one when players aren't all fully at the races? It's it just baffles me sometimes. Mm. I mean, you got to admit, for a nil all game in the Sydney derby, it was kind of it's like that game did not deserve to be a nil all game. Well, we should have scored. We should have scored and should have won. But like, yes, like Sydney had a couple of great chances, as well as probably Western Sydney. They probably had a couple yeah. of good chances as well at times. So I feel like. Well, it's credit to both keepers, isn't it? I mean, they... Defend, I, mean, I will say, like, I, I said this to George. It's a shame George isn't on this podcast, but, like, we probably should do a podcast about Wanderers and the A-League and Sydney and all that um, <laughs> in a bit. But, like, um, I said to George on Facebook during the week, I was just like, they're so he should be so glad they got Reese Williams because it actually looks like they've got a defender who can defend. Like, Do you think Wanderers can make the six? This season, this is funny. Two Sydney FC fans discussing with the Western Sydney Wanderers <laughs> the top six. <laughs> I mean, uh, they've gone on the job. I think they might. I, I generally going on, it's ridiculous to go off one game, but going off what I saw in that game, that defending, I think they might. I, their attacking probably looks still looks a bit weak, but their defending looks so much better. And I think, like, you know, as the old saying goes. Attack wins you games, defense wins you titles. They're not going to win the league, but 
meaning this sense, attack gets you into attacks when you game, defense gets you into the finals, like the top six. So I think that will get them there, to be honest. Mm, yeah. Well, I know us being Sydney supporters, that's we, we, we hope to God that Wanderers don't make the six, yeah. but <laughs> uh, but yeah. Us. I think we'll, I think we'll finish second or third. I just I can't see us winning it. I just yeah. still think Melbourne City, once the season gets fully going and they find their rhythm, are just going to be ridiculous again. Um, I, I, I I can easily see Melbourne City winning that again. Yeah, I mean, double. I, I, I'd say double. Like, I, I just, I'm, I'm just sceptical at how much longer we can continue having this immense consistency we've had for a number of seasons now. When is it finally going to snap? Uh, yeah, well... Well, I mean, yeah, I feel like we might we'll be up there, but I don't feel like we'll. Oh, we'll, we'll be up there. I'm not saying we're going to miss out on the top six. We're definitely making back. I'm top three at least. I still think top three, but like, I, I don't think we'll make top two. Yeah, I, maybe I, not. I don't think we'll be in the top two. Yeah, I doubt we're going to win it. Top three, I, I, like obviously, I like top three like i don't think it'd be amazing if we did i don't think we're gonna win it second place would be very good but i'd still take third place honestly um mm. and yeah yeah that's like i don't even something tells me i don't even think we'll make the grand final this time yeah i feel like this is see us making it three seasons in a row a bit this time i mean i, I feel like this be three the seasons in a row i mean that would really be something wouldn't it and uh, well, yeah. you could make it three seasons in a row but like well you know, Sydney FC, you know, we've been successful yeah. for such a long time. It wouldn't it always seem to just get me. done. If it's not this season, it's probably the season after. Because I look at our squad and I think, like, as good as it's been, we see as we're starting to get into that period where a lot of these players who've, like, been key players for us are starting to reach the end of their careers. And it's that there's going to be this season, obviously, because they're still the club. But the season after, if not the season after that, Ninkovic retiring, Wilkinson retiring, you know, these key players, Bobo, LaFondra, you know, these players basically retiring. That's going to be a, when we have that season of transition. So it, it's coming. It's just mm. when, when. how soon it is or what season it is, is that's what we need to know or like have to find out, I guess. Mm. Because that, that we, let's not kid ourselves, that transitional season for Sydney is definitely around the corner somewhere. Like, we don't have the youngest squad in the A-League, it has to be said. We've got some very talented youngsters, but we do have a lot of players that are key players for us who are reaching the end of our of their career. So after this season, I think is where it's going to be interesting. It looks like we are making moves towards you know replacing these players. Whether they'll be as good as them remains to be seen. Can Burgess be the next Ninkovic? Probably not. I can't see any A-League player being the next Milos Ninkovic in all honesty. Um, <laughs> similarly, to, I'm finding it difficult to see if any A-League player could be the next Alex Wilkinson, but <laughs> who knows? Yeah. No, it'll, it'll be interesting. Um, yeah. Actually, you know you know who stood out to me in the Sydney Derby with Sydney FC? Yeah. Um, God, sorry, I've lost my train of thought. Um, oh. who, who stood out to you? Oh. I don't know his name. 
Probably 100% the king himself, canned soda. Okay. Yeah, him, him. That's it. Sorry, I forgot his name. Put some fizz on that canned soda. Canned soda, yeah. Elvis. How good did he play, man? You got yeah, to admit. I, this is the thing. Like, obviously, at like victory, he was. We always knew he was a threat at victory when we played them, but that was all the. He didn't have that final product, and it still looks to me like it's. You know, he, he needs to work on it. But I like what if Corica is going to persist with this this season. I don't know if it's just a one-off. Because Barbarus has been injured, but if he is going to persist with playing him in that more like attacking midfield role where he plays Barbarus or did last season, you know, not up front, but that you know how we play that four-two-two-two, like yeah. how we have those two wide attacking midfielders. Like if he's going to continue playing him in one of those positions, like he did in the derby and also midweek in the cup, I think might be beneficial to him because it's not a position which is as reliant on end product. Because when you're up front and you're an attacking player, your end product is your goal scoring and especially your goal scoring and that's where you can get found out if you don't have any products because you're wasting chances not pulling off final passes but being the link up to that in that position and that that i'll tell you what on the break there's fucking players in the league now this season like if we have them both playing at the same time we're getting a team on the break with cam sober and bahaja no one's gonna catch us like <laughs> We have I, two I feel that too, yeah. Players in the league, like, um, yeah. but yeah, having him in that position to turn away from players, like he was a lot in the derby and also midweek in the cup. How he get the ball on the spin, break away from a player and open up some space because of his just that speed that he has when running could be very like helpful to us. I think mean, like this is the season where like. I really like expect or hope at least that some of our younger players are going to come to the fore as well. Like I don't expect Elfie and especially don't expect Bobo to be front and center every week being the one realizing your goals. We need to see Patrick Wood and Bahaja start to get some more goals into their game as well. I see a lot of potential in Wood as well. Yeah, I, I do. Bahaja, Bahaja, I love Bahaja to be honest. Like he's so energetic and so full of like life when he plays. But I think as an overall, as like an all-rounded striker, I'd say Patrick Wood's got more potential. Yeah, Bahaja looks. I mean, Bahaja's been working on his aerial ability, but I think in the box, I think Patrick Wood has the potential to be that striker who's going to be a, like a proper goal scorer. I'm talking 15 plus goals a season. That's all. That's sort of, that sort of ah. because he's got speed. He's quick. He's he's relatively quick, but he's he's got some strength about him as well, and he can finish. Fuck, he can finish. He's got the potential to be that good. I, I yeah, do believe. I, I rate him a lot. Yeah, yeah. Like I feel like he's, uh, you know, I I feel like he hasn't even reached his potential yet. Yeah. I feel like he's still. Got yeah, obviously, he's still very young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this season, for other players, I think this is a big season for Van der Sar. I mean, because he's been at the club a few seasons now. And I think, obviously, it doesn't help that he doesn't play every game. But even so, like, I think if he doesn't do something this season to prove his worth in the team, mm. you know, he can't just sit around being a second fiddle player forever. He'll want to play. I think if he doesn't prove this season that he can really bring something to a team that's trying to strive for perfection most weeks probably needs to go somewhere else. Nothing against him. He's a great player. Yeah. Yeah, but that, yeah. I agree. It seems like if he doesn't contribute something on a regular, on a more regular basis to the team this season, he starts to become more of a spare part as other players come through and so on. Um, yeah. I don't know if you watched the game. Did you watch the cup game midweek? Um, no, I actually didn't. 
<laughs> I watch uh, like I watch some cup games, but I watch mainly the um, league games on the yeah. weekend. Yeah, we had Patrick Yazbek played in central midfield again. It's the first time I've seen him play. He, I mean, I guess it's so hard to talk about a young player, but again, he looks all right. So good new and off back though, because I reckon he was one of our breakout stars of last season before that injury picked up, obviously. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what more he can add to his game this season. I think Retre is looking, you know, I, I like Retre. You know, I've, I've, I've always I've always liked him. Like, he's I'm, not always you know, great, but like he, I love the aggression he plays with. Like, yeah, yeah, that fire, you know. But for me, yeah, especially seeing it like this season, like the way he played against Wanderers, but also last season. From and I was so wrong about this. Remember two seasons ago when we had De Silva and Caceres, we brought them both in two seasons ago, and then we let De Silva go and kept Caceres. Back when that happened, we made that decision to release Danny De Silva and keep. Um, Anthony Caceres. Um, I was like, oh, we should have kept the silver. I'm, I'm so wrong because in the season, like last season and even the beginning of this season, that dude is the most underrated midfielder in the entire league. I don't know if you oh, agree yeah. with this, but Anthony Caceres is so good. Oh, he is. He is such he a is. good player. He's such an underrated player. It's ridiculous. Like, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think he is very underrated. Like to the point that I do not know how he hasn't been called up to the Socceroos. Don't because we need him to play as much as we can. But, <laughs> but I don't know how he hasn't got an international call up yet. Because I mean, you watch a lot more Australia games than I do. Because fuck yeah. watching that shit. But <laughs> you don't support Australia. Not or you're, you're, you're not England. They're shit. <laughs> they're shit. Yeah, but they're shit, and I don't like. The media hypes them up too much. I know they're not that good. It's just, yeah. Do you think but, Australia can qualify for the World Cup? I mean, probably, right? <laughs> uh, actually, I don't know. They, uh, to be honest, you know, they haven't been looking that good. In the... That's what I'm saying. Like, for you, like an Australia fan, watches Australia a lot. Yeah. Why uh, is Anthony like... Caceres playing in your midfield? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I could see him. I definitely, he could fit. Definitely in the Australian squad. Then again, don't because like we want him at Sydney. <laughs> but no, yeah, I'd rather keep him at Sydney. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like Australia, you know, like watching them a bit play in the group stages to, um, you know, they kind I of. I haven't watched them play a game in a while. Like an actual, not watch them, but like, I just don't get Australia. Like, it just seems to me that. They just never, they never play as a team. Yeah, they play as individuals rather than a team. Because I, Jamie yeah. McLaren starts for Australia. I do not see him like what I've seen from him in Australia. He doesn't look any, he doesn't even look like a shadow of the striker he is when he plays for Madrid. That's the thing. That's the thing. He underperforms, and that's the that's the time where you need to step up, playing for your country. But yeah, yeah, yeah you, you see more. You see the best from him with City rather than Australia, which doesn't make sense to me. Uh, you know, I mean... The problem a few years ago was obvious. Which you were just playing players who weren't regularly playing because you were picking players who were just big-name players, bigger-name players because they were playing in Europe or Japan or whatever. But they weren't actually regularly playing. So the problem was every time you had an international break and those players got together, they, weren't, they were down on that match sharpness. 
You've stopped that now. In recent years, since Arnie's come in, you've actually started playing A-League players or players who are at least playing regular football. So that match sharpness isn't as much of an issue. But there still seems to be that underlying issue of the fact that every time these players who perform well in their respective leagues play for Australia to come together, obviously that could be down to the quality of the opposition you're against. But like, even still, it just seems to be this like, Every time I see Australia play, apart from the odd games, like even the highlight, it just seems to me like it's always a struggle to win a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they sh- every game they struggle to win. I'm just taking Not a look at the stuff. Most like a lot of games. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm looking at the World Cup qualifying stage in Group B. So we've got Saudi Arabia, Japan, Australia. China, Oman, and Australia are coming are on 11 points. Japan coming third. Japan are coming second on 12 points. And Saudi Arabia first on 16 points. So Saudi, I, I Arabia, I mean, Saudi Arabia winning the group, 100%. Yeah, like, I don't know. If, like, I, How many games I, left to play? Uh, let me... Uh, I think we're over halfway through it now. I think we've got like three or four games left. How many teams are in the group? It's five. There's five. Five. Yeah. Yeah. So there's eight games in total. So eight games in total, yeah. So how many have you played? We've played one, two, three, four, five, six games. So there's only two games left. So we've got two games left. I don't don't know. I I don't know. It's 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 close. It's going to be very very close. First place is gone, one hundred percent. It's going to Japan and Australia. We we need Japan to, you know, to we need to win both games, and we need Japan to. Who's behind you, right? Who's in fourth right now? Oman. Are they close or are they pretty? Oh no, they're on seven points and more on eleven. Okay, that's less likely. It's really just between you and Japan. It's pretty much just us and Japan. And I, honestly, can I be honest? I don't think we'll overtake Japan. Well, it depends who you're playing. Like, depend, well, I don't know our games. I need to check who, who, what our matches are coming up. Hold on one second. China are bottom. Fuck. Yeah, you wouldn't think so, would you? Yeah. All right, so we've got... Um, actually, we've got four games. How does that work? Oh, you're four games, right? Yeah. I say we've got um, Vietnam. Vietnam. Oh, there's another team in the group. Is there? (laughs) Shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Vietnam are six. So we've got six teams in the group. That makes more sense. This is how little I watch the (laughs) thing. So we've got Vietnam next. We've got Oman after that. Actually, this is the game that's going to come down to us versus Japan. Oh, you'll get them again. So, so we get to play Japan again. And then we got Saudi Arabia. Oh, wow. Okay, so this is the thing. These, these next two games, Vietnam, Oman, must wins. If you don't you have, have to be in those games. Points, if you drop a point in either of them, then it's practically almost gone. I know Japan have been in a pretty poor form themselves recently, but if you drop Vietnam, but if you drop points against Oman, which could I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if you drew that game. I don't think you're going to lose, but I wouldn't be surprised if you drew it. 
um, and Japan beat whoever they're playing, then, I mean, that's it's it fine. gone. Because then you've got to play Japan, and then after that, Saudi Arabia, who are like the runaway league leaders. So it really, like, so you've got to beat Vietnam and Oman, but then you definitely have to get something out of the games after that. Because yeah. even if you beat Vietnam and sorry, even if you beat Vietnam and Oman, what if Japan win both of their games? You're still a point behind them, and then you got to play them. Like that, so that I, I feel like it could potentially just come down to us playing Japan. Then I think it will. I, I, I feel like it will. Yeah. I mean, depending, like obviously, if you both, I mean, maybe not because if they drop more points, you win. Suddenly. I guess it still comes down to it. Because like, if you're a point behind, it really does. Because if you're a point behind, if you both win your next two games, you'll still be a point behind them when you play them. And if you yeah. lose that, you're gone. Yeah, but that, that's the thing. Yeah, because there's only one about... game left and you're beyond three points. Yeah. We even can forget drawing, about Saudi Arabia. Even well. it, like, dangerous, because you could easily go lose or draw to Saudi Arabia. So, like... I mean, I didn't know the situation. You might actually be onto something. You think you might not qualify for the World Cup. Yeah, like, I feel like it might not be... I I feel like we are, you know, more likely to miss out than to make it. I I just feel that. And I feel like each game now, like you said, Oman and Vietnam, it's a must win. We have to beat them. And then then even if we do, depending on, on Japan's form, I mean, I'm assuming they'll play um, Saudi Arabia. You've got to hope that... This is the thing, though. If it comes down to that final game, you know Japan have an easier game. Because yeah, you're well, in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. You can't, you're playing the team at the top of the table. So that means Japan are definitely playing a team from fourth place or down. So it's like... Obviously, they could still be an upset. But, like, you know even more so that, like, they have an easier game than you do. Well, yeah, that's it. That's it. But yeah, I'm not getting my hopes up. Just, you, you, can, you can never get your hopes up if Australia. How's England doing in their group? Well, we qualified. The group's finished. Oh, the group. Oh, for you. So, did you Thanks come first? Thanks to that 10-0 thumping of San Marino in our last game, in our last group game, we scored the most goals out of any other qualifiers. Who did you have in your group? It was us, Poland. It was us, Poland, um, Albania, Hungary. Andorra and San Marino. Okay. Well, well that's like, I can run you down all our group results because I remember them. I watched them all. So we started off with a home to San Marino at Wembley. Um, then we followed that up with a 1-0 win away in Albania. So 2-0, wasn't it? So yeah, we followed that up with a 2-0 win away in Albania. Then we won 2-1 at home to Poland. Yeah. Uh, wait, what was that after that? Because it's... Wasn't it? Yeah. Then we beat Hungary 4-0 away. Then we won 4-0 at home to Andorra. Then we drew 1-1 away to Poland. Um, then we beat Andorra 5-0 away. We won 1-1 at home to Hungary. Um, beat Albania 5-0 at home. And then rounded it off with wow. a 10-0 win away at San Marino. 10-0? Yeah. Harry Kane, wow. scored, Harry Kane scored seven goals in our last two games. You got hat trick against Albania in the first half, and then scored four first half goals against San Marino. Fucking hell, that's crazy! Hey, <laughs> and Southgate's just signed on till twenty twenty four. Get in. <laughs> Meanwhile, wow. Italy have to go through the playoffs. 
God. That's a, actually, that's an amazing run. You got You heard that, right? Italy, yeah. Italy only came second. You've got to go through the playoffs. Italy, yeah. You have, they have to go for two playoffs now. I mean, I mean, I mean the first place. I mean, kings of Europe, you know. Uh, I'm not complaining. <laughs> uh, man. Are you are you amazed that Italy won? Hmm? Like the the are you are you, ama- are you amazed that Italy won the Euros? I mean, sort of, but then again, not really, because I'm looking at the rest of the teams that are in it. Like France just had a really poor tournament, and Belgium never really seemed to like live up to their hype in major tournaments. Spain, I oh, just didn't think they were going to win it. I was surprised they got to the semi-finals to be. So yeah. then it came down, and I, you know, I'm skeptical about any England, like England going into any tournament, like so even getting to the final, obviously, like so. I mean, it came down to like, I mean. I, I didn't expect Portugal to do as badly as they did. Mm. Um, that's for sure. I definitely thought Portugal were going to have be close to winning it. I didn't that's expect it to win it. My my tip, I think, at the beginning was Portugal to win it. Actually, yeah, yeah. Oh, to do another one. Yeah, because they, their team. I was just like Ronaldo, Bruno, Bernardo Silva, Jota, like all of like Cancelo, Ruben Diaz. Like their team is stacked. Just their manager's shit. Like this year. Yeah, um, I mean, it was. I, I picked Portugal to win it just because their team. Really, I didn't mm. really expect Italy to win it. Do you think Italy, if they make it, do you think they will have an impact in the World Cup? I mean, you're gonna do that well. I'm just looking like World Cup. I mean, it's gonna be literally the end. Like, this is gonna be the last big international tournament for a number of your players, specifically your two centre backs. Um. So that's even more pressure for them to. Yeah, I know. Make that's what I was trying to say. Like, that's what I was trying to say before. Like, after you and John were celebrating that point, I was just like, you know, England's players are coming into their prime. A lot of the Italian team were closing in on the end of their careers. Like, <laughs> not true. saying that they're going to win the World Cup, but like, in comparison, I think the win for Italy of the Euros is much more the fact that, like, oh, you know enjoy it basically because like your team's going to enter a transitional period very shortly whereas England our players are literally coming into our prime yeah so it's that transitional so that's what I'm saying lost I think we're going to have more chances to win some international silverware yeah in the recent in, the, in you know in the, in the near future obviously mm. so I feel like yeah that's more added pressure on Italy to you know probably make some sort of impact in the World Cup, but you know, I'm just happy settling for winning Europe, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, that's a huge achievement, regardless, you know, but... And considering, like, prior to that, you hadn't qualified for the 2018 World Cup, knocked out in the quarterfinals of Euro 2016, you know, knocked out in the group stage of the World Cup 2014, you know, knocked out (laughs) in the group stage of the we, yeah, we needed we needed that but like yeah <laughs> but yeah we've had a lot of bad runs so i think winning that has just you know kind of made up for some of that winning the euro winning the euros has kind of made up for those bad times in a way yeah <laughs> pretty much yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyways we've 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 gone over an hour now uh, god mm-hmm. time flies when we'll just football yeah. i tell you yeah, exactly. 
George this time. It was out George's time, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, now it was good to talk a lot about what was going on at Man United and to talk a bit about, you know, our A League, and yeah, yeah. I feel like we've covered everything that we needed to today. And Chester, man, it's mate, you you've got a you've got the best knowledge of football, man. Like <laughs> honestly, like I've. I've spoken to a lot of people. Yeah, get Tom on. Get Tom on a podcast. Honestly, like he has, he knows more than I do. Because he, he's yeah, a managing nerd. He is. So. Ah <laughs> uh, man, I tell you, Kyle knows his fair amount of stuff as well. <laughs> Brendan knows a lot. George Brent, knows Brendan, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Brendan, uh, he's quite wise too, actually, with his uh, football knowledge, especially with Chelsea, his team. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, no, Jeff, it's always a pleasure having you on my podcast. That's, thank you for coming on today. And mm-hmm. yeah, um, hopefully we, I can have you back on soon and we can discuss more. So the A League. Yeah. Got to get an A League one together with George and everyone or whoever can make it, even if it is just me, you and George, whoever. But yeah, get a proper A League one. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm proper sure the listeners really want to hear about the best league of football in the world. I know, right? <laughs> Uh, anyways thanks once again Chester and thanks once again guys for listening to another uh, my podcast Um, another podcast coming out on Sunday so stay tuned for that thank you Chester cheers bro see ya see ya also guys be sure to follow me on Facebook and Instagram I've got my own page called Wise Words with Stan just type that in and follow me um, also got a YouTube channel also known as Wise Words with Stan as I sometimes do vlogs so yeah be sure to follow me and keep up to date with my latest podcast if you enjoyed this one um, also you can listen back to my other ones I talk about a wide range of other topics But, yeah, guys, thank you for listening, and until next time. As I said, new episode coming out um, in a couple of days on Sunday, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Ciao.